Hey, it's Mark Roberts. We're here on Let's Get Into Entertainment. We're going to get into the business of entertainment today. You know, it's rare, Tootie, when you have someone that was the beginning, like yeah. the epicenter of something. That's that's very rare. You could say there's lots of people that invent stuff or come up with stuff or or further something. Yeah. But today, Tony Alva's here, and we're going to be talking about how skateboarding and the business of having fun and surfing turned into a business. Yeah. And that business ended up reaching all around the world. And as a result, you know, skateboards and surfboards and 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 sponsorships and business and shoe sales. I mean, you're talking about something that permeated the world. And even today, skateboarding is one of the biggest um, sports in the world. There's X Games, there's superstars of the of the sport. There's now interactive stuff where you have gaming being a part of this. So today we're going to chop it up with Tony Alva. Hey, welcome to Let's Get Into Entertainment. We're going to talk the business of entertainment today. Today's a really special day. I got Tootie here on my left. I've got um, David Dave on the ones and twos. Thank you guys for being here. I love the story when you were telling me when you first met our guest. Well, first, let's welcome him. (laughs) Tony Alva is here today. Welcome, Tony. That's right. Cool. Appreciate you. Hey, what I did do is uh, I thought, hey, I want to have Tony Alva on the show. And I thought... um, I said, I'm going to call him. So I started looking through my files. I thought, we've been living here for 20 years. I must have his number somewhere. Looking through my file, like nothing, like zero, not even an email. And then I'm like, okay, so I must have something on Katie. So I'm looking, nope, nothing. So I decide, all right, well, I guess I'll just walk, like old school, walk up to his house and be like, hey, yo, Tony. So I walk out (laughs) in front of his house last last night around five o'clock and I'm like, hey, Tony, you home? That's like, that's like, you went back to Montebello, East LA, dude. The great part is he just walked out and said, hey, what's going on? No, I like the story though, when you, you lived by him for how many years? Yeah, I, I moved in with Ann here, shoot, it must've been nine, uh, 2000, two, 98, I'm sorry, about yeah. 98, 99. Oh, wow. And I lived here for a while and I knew that there was a, there was a surfer uh, that surfed every day that lived across the street. And, you know, at, at first I, I didn't feel comfortable saying hi to everybody. So I would see him, you know, he'd get his stuff. We'd, he'd walk into his house. I'd walk into my house. So we didn't really say hello. And this went on for a couple of years. But then one day he's walking out of the garage with like this big bag and the bag says Alva on it. And I'm like, and I had, I stopped in the middle of the street. I said, Tony Alva? <laughs> and he turns around. He's like, yeah. I was like, dude, I can't, you've been here two years. We've been living across the street from each other. I didn't know he was you. Oh, that's amazing. It's right when I started making surfboards and the bags had a big Alva logo on it. Is that I'm, true? Right I'm pretty sure that? it was one oh of the surfboard God, bags. Dude. Probably startled the poor guy. It, no, like, hey. he, I think he was surprised that I hadn't said anything before. And you know what's funny is a couple of months after that, that he said, he, he was like, I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, you never reacted to me at all, like for yeah. two years. We like our anonymity at certain <laughs> levels, but I used to watch them every couple of years bring home a new baby in swaddling clothes. So oh, did Knowing each other for a while. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw the babies come. I remember Cash in particular. So I mentioned that to him. I go, man, Mark, that seems like a couple of years ago, dude. He goes, no. He goes, Cash is like almost 14 years old, dude. It's I was amazing. like, oh, wow. I was like, I guess so. I guess you're right. Yeah, you time know? flies. I, I know everyone has talked about Dogtown and Z-Boys. But we won Spirit Awards, Sundance, and um, the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. I mean, it was a great movie. I watched it last night, (laughs) and I still felt like a lot of the uh, editing uh, that that happened. I think the editing was a strength. Yeah. It was Paul Crowder. Yeah. He's he's an English guy and was a drummer. Music, too. And he, well, he edited to the music. That was part of the key to the success, I think. And it was classic rock and roll. 
And he moved within the frame. So you had like a picture, you had the classic rock and roll, you had the picture, and then you had like the board and then you had the, uh, the, the, the pool. And then you had stuff happening in the background and the camera would move to the people in the background and you'd see like, I think a lot of that was Craig Stesick too, though. There was another art director involved, Craig Stesick, and he took a lot of the photos. Yeah. That's why a lot of them were black and white. Yeah. Amazing. And then, and then there was editing where you could tell like they were flipping through a book. Yeah. And that became part of the editing style. You would, well, when it got crazy, it started flipping faster. Yeah. It go a little fast and it had the burnt look on the edges like celluloid. Yeah. And I may have seen it at Sundance. The first time I saw it was at Sundance. I waited. Oh really? Yeah. I waited. It was amazing. Cause I I don't like to see things before they're, when they're half cooked. Yeah. I don't, it's like cookie dough, man. It's like, dude, I don't want it gooey. I want it like you want to finish. Yeah. I want to cook, but I watched it. (laughs) I watched it last night and I just kept thinking to myself, it's rare when you hear someone say something like, you know, had there not been a drought in California, had that not happened, who knows when people would start skating. Oh, anything vertical. Anything vertical. Because, you know, as skateboarders during that era, we were just surfers looking for a concrete wave. And empty swimming pools were the perfect concrete wave. And And they still are. And you're still the best. That's why they build them in skate parks now, because they're emulating what we did in the backyard. Do you remember, uh, I grew up in East LA, you know, right near Montebello. There used to be a yeah. skate park in my right next to the freeway. Yeah. It was on the side of the freeway, but that was a long one. That was like, it was a little, almost like a drainage ditch yeah. kind of thing. And it yeah. had little humps and lumps in it. Yeah. But nowadays they're like full on, they have everything and it's all terrain and it's built designed for, to accommodate kids of all levels of skateboarding. Right. And then certain kids are more street oriented. So they stick to one side of the park and then the other kids ride the bowls. But the best ones are the guys that skate the whole thing. Yeah. You know, like when you went with me to Culver City, yeah. how I warmed up on one side, but then ended up in the bowl. Yeah. That's kind of what we like to do. Dude, we part, we parted the water. Like it, it was, it was like <laughs> walking with Moses, dude. We walked <laughs> into the skate park and people just turned and like, and it opened up and Tony walked right up to the bowl and jumped in and just started going. And people were like, they couldn't believe it. Right. It was, it was, it was a trip. It was a lot of fun. Did you jump in with them, Robert? <laughs> no, but I, I have a really a, a horrible story and I'm going to confess it here. So cash was young and he had taken like a, a skateboarding class for a week and we decided to take the skateboards to Santa Monica. And I'm not oh, thinking, right. I'm not thinking I got my, I got everything on and I'm with yeah. him and he must be six or seven and we're in, we're in Venice and I'm skating with him just flats. And then he's like, Oh th- dad, there's the skate park. I'm like, oh, okay. So we get all the way up past the gate into the skate park. And I'm like, I'm fucking 47 years old and I've never skated like a normal person, like yeah. in this kind of thing. So he looks at me and he's like, let's go, dad. And I was like, you're six year old kid. Cause you got to do I, it. I started backing. No, no. I started, I backed oh, out. Yeah. I, I, I said, good for you. I said, I, I said, I, I don't a, man, know. a man's got to know his limits. I said, I don't know. What that is that? That's from a famous movie, isn't it? A man's got to know his limits. There you go. He knew it right away. A man's got to know his limits. Isn't it from dirty Harry? Yep. It's one of my big regrets, man. I thought you were going to say you got down on like your knee and then you like said, let's go, son. Let's go buddy. On my butt. Like just right now. Dude, I think it was when the guy got killed at the end and it crushed him or something and that's yeah. when Clint Eastwood goes a man's gotta know his limits that's yeah. right exactly, exactly. That's so right. I knew my limits that day but I was like I, I, I know my limits it. too believe me after being a professional skateboarder for this long 
it's like, I just refined my technique, you know, cause I'm telling you there's stuff that the kids are doing nowadays that I look at and I'm just like, wow. But do you remember turning you know? to me the day that you went, we went to that skate park and you rode in, you rode in the thing and you, and you, you had a really great day and you, yeah, I, I did remember have a you good turned day. to me and you were like, that was a good day today. He was it's <laughs> yeah. not always like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, well, any day really where you don't take a bad fall is a good day in skateboarding. Cause in order to be a skateboarder, professional skateboarder, you have to be able to fall. And the other thing is perseverance is like, cause you know, it's like that saying, I think uh, Dwayne Wade said or whatever. It's like fall seven, get up eight. Yeah. You know, it's like that kind of thing with skateboarding. You have to have that unbreakable spirit thing. You know, you can break my body, but you can't break my spirit. Yeah. So skateboarders, that's why I think skateboarding and kids in general really love that as an outlet too, because it, there's no rules. There's no, team there's no coach yelling at you there's nothing really except for you and the board right and the lines are just abstract lines you do whatever you're feeling in the moment which is a sense of freedom that i don't think you can get from much more other than no. maybe like other board sports like surfing and yeah you know yeah. Or i would think snowboarding people love snowboarding um i've always lived at the beach so i'm a surfer and a skateboarder yeah and then music has always been a big part of what we do we've always been into anything edgy like new and different as far as music goes. But yeah. I think the roots of rock and roll are still really important too in, in all kinds of music. It's all part of it. You know, I mean, look, we, I got to go back with you because I, uh, as I was watching the doc, I just kept thinking, you know, there was no rules to what you guys were doing. You were surfing. Um, you started skateboarding. Skateboarding was revolutionizing itself, but at the same time, culture went with it because I think the youth culture, um, the connection to skateboarding has always been directly connected to street culture. That's why like when they say with skateboarders, especially one that's been into it as long as I have, that we have a lot of street cred because of the fact that that's where we came from. But also just to be able to um, market yourself and like the whole brand thing that happened in the seventies um, with my board company, um, helping vans guide vans and other shoe companies in, in a positive direction to where they're actually making product for kids that are into that kind of culture. I mean, that opened up a whole new door for not only like a new business, but also for like a new, I would say lifestyle. Right. But before you, know? you got into that, there was like just you guys. And, you know, I love the whole part about in Santa Monica, there was all these schools that were built on a hill. So you, they had yep. to fill them in. So there was all these uh, hills. to So to that when the rain came and everything came and then even for the kids with the, the playing ball on the side, everything would be like bounce off the walls and go back into the, right. the flats and then down the canyon. Right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the reason that's why they did that. But what they did was unwittingly they created the first skate parks for us because right. they were concrete waves. Yeah, and good. we just started practicing our moves that we would normally be doing at the beach and the waves are good yeah. on the school, on the banks of the schoolyards. And then until they chased us out and tried to kick us out and the whole, it led into a, a cat and mouse thing with the authorities. Right. But you know, skateboarders are the most rebellious and anti authoritative group of kids you'll ever, right. ever come into contact with. And even to this day, they're still that way. I, yeah. like if you look at how part of the videos that are online nowadays, oh, yeah. and stuff, it's kids getting into interactions with security guards, yeah. people on the streets, whatever, you Slicing know. Slicing off um, locks. It's just the way they are. And it's always been that way. And, and I guess I'm one of the original rebels when it comes to that. But, you know, as I gotten older, I become a little bit more, I would say, um, just respectful towards like, I would say other people's property. But back when we were kids, <laughs> we weren't. 
Right. We were sneaking into people's backyards. We right. were skating their pools when they weren't home or when the houses were abandoned. We were cutting holes in the fences and jumping over into, you know, schoolyards and drainage ditches, riding empty pipes that were out in the middle of the desert where there was construction crews that were coming and going. I mean, we did whatever we could do just to get out there and say that we had ridden, you know, these terrain, these, these things that were not made for skateboarding, yeah. but were perfect for skateboarding. I have a picture that you're going to sign today that where you where it's one of those uh, tubes that they put underneath the ground. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know, it must be like 30 feet tall. Yeah. They're and, the Amron pipes. Yeah, you're riding inside of it. And they used them to supply the water to the places like Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, you're three quarters of the way Places up were not livable. Yeah. They would ship the water through those pipes. Cause so we would find out where those factories were before they had actually put them in the ground and we'd go out there and skate those pipes. And that's probably what that photo is. But we would have to drive like a day or two to get out there to right. those places. And then, and then would you stay there in your car and yeah. yeah. Or we just hook up with like the local skate, yeah. you know, kind of the, either the guys or the girls that they were find like, you. yeah. And we, we'd <laughs> hook up and have a big party that night and crash out, you know, yeah. couch surf in our way into like the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's the, here's the uh, crazy thing about what you guys did is that a lot of times, you know, what you're getting into as a kid and you get into it because you'd like some fame, you like some money. You guys didn't think about that. And all of a sudden this organization of people that wanted a piece of this business and wanted a piece of you guys and wanted to monetize what you guys were doing came into the picture. And as a result of that, a few of you guys adapted and a few of you guys did not. That's true. So, you know, for people that are, that are out there doing businesses or doing things that are innovative, that are brand new, that all of a sudden industry shows up, business people show up and they're like, you know what? This is a business. We can turn this into something that's shoes, that's skateboards, that's surfboard, you know, and that's what they did. How do you, how did you deal? Cause you know, I see your interviews and I can see that you're a businessman at 16. You're already, your, your mind's already going. Well, I you're, started as an entrepreneur at 19. Yeah. And then I started my own business because I basically was in the right place at the right time. And I ran into some guys that were not only good at running production and, and, and they were using um, Scandinavian lamination wood processes to make lighter, stronger boards. And we started making skateboards together. Were you interested in business though, as it showed? Not up? really. No, no, but I had the right guys to help run the business and do it. And all I did was go out and do what I do best. And like, but that was the perfect kind of promotion and marketing. Is that I was at, actually out there in public doing what I do best, and that's surfing and skateboarding. And then when punk rock music came in, I had a band. I was out playing gigs and skating and doing all that. And so basically, I was the test pilot and those guys. But I worked with them by giving them feedback and being a test pilot. Is I worked with them in design, right. but I didn't actually go out hands on and make the boards. The boards were made, um, especially when we went into mass production. They were made in different wood shops that were geared towards making laminated wood and actually being able to cut the templates, sand them, press them, do everything that they had to do. And then the last stage was that we would put that grip tape over that square right. paint that we had on the deck. Yeah. And then that was my brand was it was like a flame yeah. colored logo that said Alva. And in the bottom, we just did a basic one tone Alva logo on the bottom. We kept it like a less is more thing. Yeah. And the boards just sold like I'd say we sold millions of boards like yeah. the first couple of it years. It was an incredible, like, yeah. by the way, it's an, it's an incredible logo out the Alvin Well, I still name. make those boards and yeah. I still even do the retro ones. The OG. And there's one, they're one of the most popular boards still like 40 years later. That's the, one of the top sellers still. I've got three um, of your boards. Yeah. Pe yeah. Well, people want those original ones still. They actually write them again because they, yeah. they want the thrill, the feeling of that, like original board, just 
really just the pure essence of being on a skateboard, you know, and that's what those boards give you. So you did start your own business. I basically did a, a movie with Universal that was directed by George Gage and produced by Dick Wolf, who went on to like television oh, wow. fame. So, so I ended up doing a movie at 19 years old with Leif Garrett and Alan Garfield and Kathleen Lloyd and like all yeah. of these people that were in the movie. Orson Bean, I think, was in it as one of the Teen announcers. Beat magazine. The, yeah. Yeah, Teen Beat. That was, that was, that was Leif. He was a star. That's right. And so then what happened was we used a lot of, for the stunts and a lot of the events that were part of the movie was we used professional skateboarders. Right. And, but I was one of the, the principal characters because I was like the bad boy on the team. Right. That was called the LA wheels that the Leif Garrett was on. Right. And yeah. We filmed it all in LA pretty much too. Could Leif skate? He learned quick. He learned quick. He had to. He had to learn fast. As most actors do. Like we were talking about Victor. Victor learned quick too. I had to teach him how to stay on a board. When we did Lords of Dogtown, um, we had, um, you know, Emil Hirsch and like uh, Heath Ledger was our one of our principal characters. It was close to the end of his career too. So yeah, a lot of the actors had a little bit of an ability to stay on board, but most of them we had to teach from the ground up just how to get from point A to point B. Right. And then we would have the uh, stunt guys come in and I was always one of the stunt guys, but I also ended up uh, being um, an authenticity um, consultant when it came down to doing the, the feature film that would follow the documentary. Yeah, and that, cause I worked with Catherine Hardwick and yeah. she was like a good friend of mine. She trusted me because Roberts had Lopez play a soccer player in a movie <laughs> and I played soccer all over the world and, I, and he did him bad. I mean, Lopez mm. is a friend of the show, but Lopez dribbling a soccer ball down the field didn't work. It, it didn't work, dude. Put him in a boxing <laughs> ring, it works. Put him on a wrestling back, it, it works. Who taught you guys how to skateboard? Who taught you your what you were doing? Um, we had a natural ability for it, but at the same time, I think we we were taught we were self taught through emulating just what was going on around us. Our all the, all of our heroes were surfers and stuff, so we just emulated what the surfers were doing on waves, but we did it on concrete. Yeah, and then we started to realize that we were surpassing even what they could do on the waves, taking it to a new level. And then finally, what happened was with the new terrain was that we started flying in the air and actually doing aerials and they weren't really doing that on waves yet and stuff. The aerial thing was a completely revolutionary and radical uh, place to go with skateboarding. And that's where we ended up taking it. And, and I was one of the first guys to be documented actually landing. Dude, you were the first guy the to ever come fully out of the, one the, of the first guys to be documented doing, it. I think there was other guys doing it at the time, but they didn't have photographers uh, there to capture it. Uh, all right. You know, and, and also I was in the limelight because of the fact that I was a competitive skateboarder yeah. and I had a track record that spoke for itself. And by the time I was 19 years old, I was the men's overall world professional skateboard champion, which was the men's division, but at 19. So I competed with, against men, Yeah, you know, even though I was not even close, I could barely grow a, a caterpillar mustache at the time, you know, <laughs> but I was the men's world champion at, yeah, at a very young age. And that was five events in one, like a decathlon thing. Yeah. So you had to so be really good at every facet to be that guy. Yeah. And that's what skateboarding, I think, has been based upon since then. Well, vertical skating is where it continues to be now, right? So you, you came out of the, you came out of the bowl. Uh, they documented it, and mm -hmm. then years later, the X Games. You know, it's all about you know how how much oh, air yeah. can you get, how far out can you? I mean, even uh, even in snowboarding, it's all about coming out. All of those thing. tricks came from the basic principles of just doing an air in a swimming pool. That's where it came from. That was the beginning. That was like 
you know, there's the chicken and the egg, you know, which came first. I mean, I mean, surfers nowadays are doing what skateboarders did. It's right. true. Yeah. You are. know, because they've seen that skateboarders are capable of it and they're like, okay, we can do that now too. And right. boards have gotten lighter and, and just the, the, the guy that does in like competition when it comes to surfing nowadays, it's like aerials are part of the, are part of the repertoire yeah. now. Well, skateboarding defies gravity. I mean, you, if you, if you watch some of these guys in particular, like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't follow skateboarding that much, but I did do a show with uh, Paul Rodriguez Jr. Mm-hmm. He's a great kid. And I would, I remember watching like the slow-mo work that they would do with him. Yeah. And, and I, I just couldn't really, like my mind couldn't wrap itself around the idea that your foot and the speed Yep. And the gravity could make a board do something like that, like flip. And while you're in the air, like you well, land. Really, what we're doing amazing. is manipulating yeah. gravity more than defying it. Right. We use it. You use it. it as a tool. And you know, what comes up must go down. And, but when you come down, the trick is, especially with kids like Paul is make the landing, you know, right. is landing it. I mean, it's easy to do a lot of things like just get out there and get into the air, but to actually land it and skate away that involves grace and that involves like repetition and practice. And like I said earlier, perseverance. So the, the subculture though started here in Southern California, you guys are a part of it, right? I would say, yeah, pretty much the whole world was, is influenced by Southern California culture because of the fact that surfing and skateboarding came from here and not to mention our connection to rock and roll, especially after the British invasion with like that whole, you know, with the Beatles and psychedelia and all that stuff. Going off of what you're saying, they had a photographer, yeah. world-class photographer writing articles in magazines that were going all over the world. Yeah. And people were seeing like these guys come out of, uh, you know, swimming pools and they were seeing like this style, like that, that was coming out of California. You saw these guys partying with rock stars and going yeah. to Hollywood parties and yeah. being with celebrities and it changed it changed it so much. It turned, and you know, again, I, I have to come back to the idea that it became a business that no one expected it to become. I mean, you know, look, how soon, how soon did Vans come to you after you started doing this? Stuff? Well, Vans was one of the first companies, I think on a corporate level, Well, they weren't corporate at the time. They were mom and pop shop. They were, they had little mom and pop stores on the corners. They had one on 19th and Wilshire in my neighborhood oh, on the wow. West side. And they had one down in Venice and one like in Mar Vista. They had like little stores here and there. Yeah. And what happened was we were going in there buying one shoe at a time. I was at least. And it didn't matter what color. I just needed the one that I was dragging all the time on the back that was wearing out. And Steve Van Doren, who was only a few years older than me at the time, convinced his father and the people that were running the business to sell us one shoe at a time. And then so we eventually started telling him, look, you got to make us shoes, you know, and beef them up a little and make us something for skateboarding. Cause we, all the skaters are wearing them. We love your shoes. They're affordable. They're durable. They're the right style. Everything's cool. But you know, you guys can need to build one for skateboarding. And they actually listened to us and eventually started to design and manufacture a shoe that was made for skateboarding. It was the off the wall version of the, of Vans. That's what I was going to ask you. So off the wall came after you guys were. Yeah. It came them. like in the mid to late seventies. Right. And Stacy Peralta got sponsored before I did. Cause yeah. I was already kind of on my own doing my own thing. And I was getting offers and sponsorship from different manufacturers that were more like sports related shoe companies. Yeah. But those shoes never really worked that well for skateboarding like Vans did. So I ended up going back Right. To where I started with Vans. And then we came to a, uh, an agreement 
And ever since then, I mean, especially in the last like 20 years or so, I've been one of their number one ambassadors like worldwide as, uh, you know, Vans footwear, like uh, not only a team writer, but somebody that's seen where they've come from and where they're going and what they stand for today, yeah. you know? So that's one of my only like kind of real day jobs is that I'm an ambassador and a team writer for Vans. When you think about being 19 and what you know now, would you have handled the business of what was coming at you differently? Definitely. I mean, because, I mean, let's put it this way. There's no regrets. Everything that happened back yeah. then is what got me here. But if I could have found some of the paths that I found in my life through, in, instead of making mistakes as many as I did and paying the dues that I had to pay, you know, I, I would change that. But you know what? There really is no way to do that. And I can't live in the past. Yeah. What I'm trying to do constantly is just make progress, yeah. you know, and I find that other people, places and things are out of my control. So the, the main thing I need to work on is myself. And I, and I think that eventually what I found was instead of using drugs and alcohol for my spiritual search in life, because I knew that I was looking for something like spiritually, especially coming from my Mexican ancestry, yeah. is that I always felt like, well, you know, tequila and magic mushrooms, <laughs> that, that'll get me to where I'm looking, what I'm looking for. I mean, I could have Krishna on one side and Jesus on the other, yeah. you know, and like, but you know, you find out that's a facade and that that's purely an illusion, you know, and, uh, so for me, what I found was that through prayer and meditation, due to having some perception shifts in my life, which I call spiritual awakening, it just came from clarity. You know, I had to do all that other stuff in order to find out that it really didn't work for me on the long term um, part of my life. As far as what my goal in life was, it was to come to a realization that I really didn't need anything outside but I had to look inside to find what I really needed to become happy, joyous and free in my life. Yeah. And I think that's led me to a path of uh, clean living, you know, and just sobriety and clarity and all the things that come with, um, with having a sober lifestyle. And my surfing has gotten better. The music and the bands I play in is the best it's ever been. My skateboarding is really good still. And, um, you know, as my friends and peers fell to the side, and even some of them are dying, you know, falling off. Like if you look at a picture of the Z boys, it's like that movie where the faces start disappearing. Yeah. Well, half the crew's gone, you know? And, um, so I guess as far as like what I see, what my mission in life is, mm. is to carry on that attitude, that tradition and that approach to surfing, skateboarding, music, fashion, everything that the world kind of looks to, skateboarding culture for yeah i'm like at the head of the pack like the first guy on the trail still taking steps forward you know what i'm saying yeah so we're still blazing a trail so to be a 62 year old professional skateboarder is almost miraculous my dad told me straight to my face there's no future in that when i said i'm going to be a professional skateboarder you know and he knew nothing other than what he did, the nine to five job thing, you know, yeah. and wanted that for me, but wanted a better life for me, but didn't realize that my dreams were going in a completely different direction than what his dreams right. were like when he was 19. You know, well, I've, I look, I've known you for 20 years. Uh, we've lived on this next to each other for 20 years. And um, I mean, you've lived a pretty remarkable life as far as I'm concerned. You know, you get up every morning without failure. You know, you're, you're at the beach surfing. You're back here by nine. That's my cross training. I cross train. I cross train with surfing. But I find that as far as my cross training with surfing is the better that I surf and the better my days are with my surfing, the easier my skateboarding is. 
and I'm not falling as much and stuff because when you get older and you fall, it hurts more and you don't heal as fast. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you want to refine your technique to the point to where you fall as little as possible. Right. I mean, the kids go out there, you see a guy like Paul Rodriguez or even younger. Yeah. Those guys can take like 10 falls a day, get up and have a few br- bruises and scrapes. Right. It's no big deal. You know, they go have a few beers, you know, it's all good, blah, blah, blah. You know, they laugh it off. That's how I was when I was their age as well. Right. And I think that's why drugs and alcohol at a young age worked for me too. Right. You know, it really, it did. It worked for me for a long time. And then I found as my life got unmanageable and it started to affect my spiritual, the inner spirit in me started to become sick, like a malady, yeah. like a spiritual malady. Right. When that started to happen, I think the sickness kind of was a, from the inside. And that's why I'm saying looking for happiness on the outside for me doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have a nice car. It's nice to live in a nice neighborhood like we do. It's good. Basically the simple things in my life are that, you know, I got clothes on my back. I want like something healthy to, to sustain me and, and, and live off of like, you know, eating healthy and light meals for me is happening, especially at my age with my metabolism. But the bottom line is all of the, the really beautiful things in my life and all of the things that are really, um, long-term come from the inside. It's like, you got to clean out the inside in order to really have a beautiful life on the outside. Right. And that took a long time for me to learn. Cause I always, whether things were good or bad, I always, my drug of choice was alcohol. And then when I picked up that first drink, man, I was off and running again. So if it was like, I won a championship or got a, a new girlfriend or whatever. Okay. Boom. Let's have a drink. Right. If something bad happened, my dog died or I got in a car accident, whatever, you know, boom, let's have a drink. That's you how know? we sell tequila. Yeah. Yeah, hey, no matter what you're doing, whether someone died or you're happy or yeah. you're celebrating tequila. But that's part of, you know, a lot of cultures too, though. And, yeah. and well, especially Latin say, culture, yeah. especially Latin culture. And tough guys can hold their drink and tough guys know how to drink. And right. tough guys drink their tequila like real men and stuff like that. But I found for me, that was a facade because of the fact that I was allergic to alcohol because, well, I broke out in handcuffs just about every time I drank. <laughs> but, um, you, but you know, I had an allergy to alcohol like indigenous people do. Yeah. And then the other thing was that I had an obsession for it. Right. You know, my mind obsessed over it. And then I always felt like to make it spiritual, I needed to use drugs. Right. I needed either cocaine or, you know, LSD or whatever you got, man. We'd smoke angel dust with the low riders down Stop the parking lot. Mouth I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we were heavy partiers, you know? And well, it came and, with the culture. It came with the, it came with, yeah, the we were rock and roll stars, but in our own, our own little world, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of rock and roll stars couldn't even hang with us. We yeah. were tough kids. The Dogtown kids were super tough kids. And I was the leader of the pack. So, you know, it beat me up for a while because of the fact that as I got older, I couldn't process that, that stuff, that lifestyle as well. And when I found a place to where, you know, it was kind of like last house on the road kind of thing was that people started to show up in my life that were there to help guide me in a spiritual direction, which involved clean living and sobriety and, and, and a, basically a solution to alcoholism, right. which I watched my dad die from. My grandfather died from it and everything. And the whole deal was, okay, here, is this where we break the cycle? So not only did I break the cycle for myself and my family, but I broke the cycle for professional skateboarders. Yeah. Because now people look at me and they're like, wow, this it. guy's like 14 years clean and sober. And like, look at him, you know, and it's just yeah. like still skating. And they're just like, you know, so that's kind of my mission now. Not, that's not kind of my mission. You want to know the truth? That is my number one priority in life right now is that's my mission is to carry 
that message to the most sorted place on earth through being a skateboarder and a surfer and all that and let them know. And you know, regardless, I'm not a hater when it comes to drugs and alcohol. As a matter of fact, I love drugs and alcohol. I just don't use them myself because I know that what it does for me now is that it basically takes me to a dark place and it pollutes everything in my life. I feel that is pure and the pure essence of life of being a surfer and a skateboarder is about doing it clean and sober and getting that natural high that gives you this feeling of elation. There's like, you know, grandfathers and fathers now taking their kids to the skate park and they're all skating together and stuff. Right. Or, you know, like the things that they do, you know, to market the skateboarding lifestyle, whether it be extreme games, things, the the Olympics wanting to be a part of it now, Um, you know, and regardless of what's going on with COVID and all that stuff. and, And don't get me wrong. I have respect, you know, for this virus, it's no joke. It's like taking some people out and stuff, but you know, the skate parks are still crowded, man. They had to put dirt and sand inside the skate park at Venice to stop the kids from skating down there, social distancing thing, you know? So, you know, skateboarders are still as rebellious as ever. I hate to say, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like that, that healthy lifestyle with the sunshine and the fresh air and all that. I mean, we're not immune to this, but we alleviate our chances of, of taking on any type of like illness and disease. And a lot of times by just staying active, Yeah, you're super healthy. Like Teddy's about beer and a ham sandwich. That's what, he, he gets all fired up about prosciutto, that. Prosciutto, uh, prosciutto, prosciutto. I'll, 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 I'll take a hand. It's but, uh, a form of ham. The Italians, they love the prosciutto. They too. love the prosciutto. Although yeah. I'm Mexican, but it's still kind of It's like, okay. Mexicans like their, their pork too. It starts with the chicharrones and the He's an honorary <laughs> Italian. Yeah. Goes all the way up to Mexican prosciutto. You have a amazing wife. You have uh, an amazing partner. Yeah, Katie Rodriguez. She's amazing. Yeah, you yeah. Got Katie Rodriguez, who in her own right is, uh, you know, remarkable talent. She's a celebrity creative. in the fashion world. Yeah, she's she's uh, she's amazing. She doesn't take the celebrity stuff to the level that she likes because she's not really hungry for that type right. of notoriety. But underneath it all, if you research, especially Resurrection, yeah. And her, her business is really like just an amazing uh, entrepreneurial adventure that she's been on well, for the, years. It's for the 25 high, years. Highest level of fashion, dude. The highest vintage level of couture. Fashion. It's yeah. vintage couture. Really which remarkable. Is, which is the bomb. Um, but you guys have a, an amazing life. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to what we're doing in regards to film, mm. in regards to moving forward in, in your businesses and your entrepreneurial um, struggles. You know, it's not really about whether you succeed or fail in the businesses you try, but it's about what you learn when you're trying to um, start a business. And in your case, the business of what you were doing was exploding around you. So, um, and you know, your, your brand that, by the way, that logo hasn't changed in it's had some alterations here and there, but I find that the original logo is still the best one. Yeah, it's remarkable. You look yeah. at it and you say, that's a piece of art, dude. That's it was designed by the guy, Eric Monson, that designed Devo's first album cover. And stuff oh, really? Too. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's the a, one with the Gino Vanelli golf ball yeah. thing and all that. I know at some point when you were uh, the all-around champion, when you um, continued to tour the world, when you started getting sponsors, you were about making money. You were about Definitely. being paid for what you were what you were doing. I'm still about that. But the thing is, it's like, I'm open to doing stuff for fair and for free. If it's something that's geared towards helping other people, 
But the bottom line is like when somebody wants to use my name or my likeness or my image or my 45 years as a professional skateboarder, my experience, then I got to get paid for that. You got to get paid for it. So the bottom line is, um, you know, if you're compensated for, I think, doing a good job and and sharing something, I think, that has a worth, that's the value, that's fair. You know, but I will do things for free just depending on what's going on and where it's, it's kind of like, a lot of times I just got to go with the gut feeling thing. Like you were talking about entrepreneurial spirit and stuff like that. A lot of times what it's about, it's about doing what you really feel in your heart and kind of in your gut, like, like that intuitive feeling, you know, if you have something that's intuitive, usually it's connected to wisdom. And I think the wisdom only comes from making mistakes and going out there and taking chances, you know? And so intuition, when it turns to wisdom, I think what it is really is you're making the right choices. Yeah. When you start making the right choices intuitively, that's wisdom. Yeah. And I only think for me, that only comes from the fact that I made so many mistakes Yeah. and I had to, and I had to pay some dues, you know, yeah. some people pay the ultimate price by taking chances like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I've got a few friends that didn't last. Risk you it know? All. Yeah. Well, a lot of them, 27 years old. Yeah. Most of them just like rock star thing. You know, they, they died at 27 years old. Um, I had a guy that I lived with for a while that was Clark Gable's stepson, uh, this guy, Bunker Spreckles died at 27 years old, you know, multimillionaire had everything in the world to live for and stuff. But you know, it's just like, there's different circumstances involved in different people's lives. And when you make choices, I mean, and you're not to that stage in your life yet where intuitively you have a connection to wisdom, it's can be risky. You can risk your life in order to experience some of those situations. Yeah. Um, and especially if you involve fast cars and drugs and alcohol, guns, big waves, flying in airplanes, <laughs> helicopters, you know, we name it all, all of those things on the outside, which we think are like living large, you yeah. know, if you were to give advice to a young skateboarder, this is what this conversation has all boiled down to. You know, you had the ability to, when you showed up somewhere, you had this talent that was undeniable that most people in the world didn't have. So when money started coming your way, when, when deals started coming your way, mm-hmm. if you were a young skateboarder or, or anybody who had like a God given talent, that's going to earn you money. Do you take on all things or do you focus on the sponsor money? Do you focus on like your own business? Because I think doing it all is probably not the I right thing. I think it's back to what's going on just right now in COVID. You, you, you focus on the essentials. You don't focus on like this big vision of grandeur, you know, yeah. like you're going to be like the next, the next like uh, Kanye West of skateboarding or whatever. <laughs> right. You focus on the, the basic essentials, which is you got food, you got shelter, you got a decent vehicle to get around. Cause if you're living in LA, yeah. your family's taken care of. I mean, it's almost like a less is more thing. But you got to have enough to feel comfortable. Don't get greedy. You know, ambition yeah. is a good thing. Ambition. Listen to this, Roberts. Don't get greedy. You yeah, don't yeah. get greedy. But ambition <laughs> is a good thing, I think, though. Ambition. Yeah. But somebody, especially young men, can get so ambitious so fast that they cross the line. And where does ambition go when it crosses the line? It goes to greed. Okay, so if your ambition turns to greed, you might want to think about that. And get back to just being that ambitious guy that just needs the essential things in his life to be of the quality of life that he's used to living with. So and with me, down. dude, I, I live a pretty comfortable life, oh, but yeah, you know, you but the bottom line is I worked for that. I still work for it. I, I appreciate it. 
You've come you, a long way, buddy. Definitely, because I lived in some pretty shabby <laughs> conditions before. I lived in the back of my shop for a while, so with my dog, you know, like sleeping on a freaking two, a two foot was wide that Earl? cot. Was that yeah. Earl? Yeah, I've been through some. Miss Earl. I've Earl's been through some divorces, believe me. But you know what happened was, um, even with um, my significant other, is that I had to prove myself that I was that I was worthy of having a relationship. And having a quality of life that was of that level and appreciating and having gratitude, you know, yeah. and that only comes from humility too. Right. Like you have to humble yourself sometimes, especially in the eyes of God, I would say, you know, sure. because we're not as important as we think we are sometimes, well, you know, the ego, sure. that delusory perception of self, my ego could be a real like, um, difficult thing for other people to live with, but also even for me to live with. Right. And so what I found was that, if I could do something for somebody else and have a little bit more humility in my life and grace, you know, that it made me more graceful. And when I'm graceful, I'm basically making dangerous things look really easy and right. doing them gracefully. Like when I took you to the skate park with me, I had right. a graceful day. It was a yeah. good day for me. So that's what I've kind of learned from skateboarding too. So I have to take that into business. Yeah. And with business, I have to learn also sometimes that less is more. Right. Like I want to keep things really essential and attached to the basics because the basics are the most important thing, especially when it comes to making things work and making it fundamentally sound. Right. Like fundamentally all is well, then, then, then it's all good. Right. And that's what my board company represents. You know, it's like I've taken inspiration from the past, put it into the present in order to help create the future. Okay. Like my boards are all influenced by things that I loved as a kid. Right. You know, like the essentials of surfing, skateboarding, I would say like, you know, a little bit of rock and roll lifestyle and like all those things. And when you incorporate that into a brand, which is my company, Alva, and I've shared that with Vans, I've shared that with my other sponsors, even with Fender, you know, when I did a guitar with them, we, we incorporated all of those things that I'm enthusiastic about and that I still um, like to use in expressing myself even today, then it worked. It became yeah. something marketable and it felt natural though. It felt organic. It didn't feel forced. Well, that's what people want. They, they want to, they want to get some of your, the glory from your glory days in a product that they're getting from you now. I think they want something that's real too though, but something yeah. that works Yeah, and something that doesn't necessarily get too far away from the roots, yeah. from the foundation because the roots are important. You know, without the roots, the tree dies, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the the Rastafarians, the reggae music guys that sing with conscious lyrics, the conscious lyrics that they exemplify through their music, they always sing about that. Like where they're saying, you know, you've got to water the roots. You've got to keep it real. you got to yeah. be true to yourself. And I feel like a lot of times, especially in music and stuff like that, it's like the music that I like is usually where it exemplifies something like that, especially if the if the singer, the lead man or the sing or the or the diva of the group is singing about something that's important that has some significance yeah. to life in a really meaningful way. You know, I find that as like spiritual. I think that's why music is so spiritual. Yeah. Like if you listen to, I was listening to Aretha Franklin this morning and stuff. I mean, the message is loud and clear. Yeah. So through my actions, I can lead and carry that message much louder than words. So now your you business, know? now your business is all about sort of like being really centered about everything that you're up And to. about just, pushing the envelope to the next and showing people like, you know what? Really age is not that big of a thing. It's like, it's really about where's your heart at, but you know what? I just tell the kids, I say, 
Do it because you love it. Yeah. Do it because it's fun. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, go out there and use the pure essence of why you love skateboarding and that feeling you get from it to go into business. Don't go out there thinking you're going to be the next multi-billionaire or right. the next Tony Hawk or whatever, you know, because Tony Hawk's one in a million. Right. You know, he was in the right place at the right time, just like how I was. And the, and the, the level of commercialism that he tapped into is probably never even, even going to happen again. Right. And, you know, the Olympics, we'll see what happens with that kind of stuff. You know, with, right. I'll tell you one thing, the Olympics needs us more than we need them. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that they need us to get to the youth more than we need them. Skateboarding is as big as ever and it always will be. And it'll continue to grow and it'll continue to be super popular with kids because of the freedom that it gives kids. Right. That spiritual connection to freedom is priceless. But people want to tap into that. They want to make money off it. They want to sell video games. They want kids to watch TV. They want to make movies about it. They want to capitalize off of it. Yeah. And you know what? More power to them. Who am I to say that that's wrong? Who am I to say that that's bullshit? You know, right. because the bottom line is I did it when I was 19, Right. you know, but I never sold out and I never sold out what I believed in. And I've never sold surfing and skateboarding out. I've never sold it out. I've always kept it close to my heart and kept it close to home literally. And that's why it works for me. And that's why when people look to me for direction, the best way that I can show who I am and what I am and what I believe in is just through my actions. I don't get involved in politics. Any of that stuff is just, I just put out a positive message to everybody. It's about the passion, Robert. See, I'm going to bring it back to filmmaking, the passion, the, the love for something where you're, you know, simple, he kept it simple. Alva the brand simple. Yeah. And you still have your skateboard company. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Do you make, do you make uh, surfboards? I make surfboards. I make skateboards. I do some soft goods. I'm expanding the soft goods stuff with Katie right now because we find that the profit margin is bigger than that. And it's really simple because of the lifestyle. The capacity of my brand now being a lifestyle thing yeah. is that I can cross over into a lot of different things, including fashion. So that's good because... Fashion is more lucrative because of the fact that you can make more of it and a bigger profit margin in soft goods than you can hard goods. Right. But the hard goods is important in my business because the hard goods is the backbone of the business. So I have to always stick to making a high performance, good price and quality hard goods line. Because that's the end, right? As you, as you, that's the backboard. Yeah. That's your spine. That's your spine. You start branching out. But then there's shoes with vans, there's guitars with Fender, there's trucks, you know, like you can do like that hold the wheels to the boards. The trucks are like Independence, my sponsor. So doing a truck with the Indy, stuff like that, like all of those things in the future are possible. But the bottom line for me is that the brand is pure of its essence and that it comes from a hard goods based company. Yeah. And I think that's I, it. I think you do that. So where do people find your boards at? If people want to buy a board or a shirt or whatever they want. Online's to the best thing as far as like Alva Tony goes. Al- is it at TonyAlva.com? It's or? just Alva Skates. Alva like Skates. Alva, yeah. It's, and it's connected to my Instagram is the Tony Alva 1957. And then I do a lot of stuff basically connected to Vans as my biggest sponsor. So as far as like having a day job, yeah. I mean, it's connected to what I do with Steve Van Doren with Vans. Right. Is I promote Vans. I've had signature shoes with Vans. I, I endorse Vans, whether my name's on it or not, because it is Vans and because I believe in them and they right. they believe in me. And I get paid not only royalties from things that I help them sell, but I also get a salary from them. So I'm like a team player when it comes yeah. to, to Vans. But with Alva, Alva's my own business and yeah. it's what I do 
with the assistance of a few people that are like family to me, you know? And, um, and then on the side, my hobby and my, my, uh, my passion and a lot of my enthusiasm goes into music, which is I play bass guitar yeah. in a band. I mean, meaning to hear you play. In a rock band called His Eyes Have Fangs. Everything's online just like it is with Alva and you can check it out, even buy our record, you know, through the internet. But we play live and when we're ready to play live, it'll be when everything is safe and sound and it's ready to get back out there and, yeah. and live venues start to uh, be careful, start man. to have live music again. Yeah. We talked about you guys being at the, the nucleus of the most incredible skateboarding business in history. You know, something that started it all, the center of what ended up becoming a multi-trillion dollar business now. But yeah, it's funny that I used to say it's a billion dollar, but it is no, probably it's trillion trillions now. now. Wow, but but what's what's amazing about where you guys were is that again, you did it from a pure place. So you were skateboarding, you were surfing, you guys were having fun, and then this business came in. And a lot of the people that were skateboarding at that time didn't appreciate the idea that businesses were coming in saying, "Okay, you have to be here at a certain time. You got to put on a certain shirt. No. You got to wear a certain kind of shoe. You got to act a certain way. You can't be part." So all of these. Rules came in. You seem but that's to deal- why we went through all of that and then ended up starting our own businesses. But you, but you dealt with that pretty well. I mean, you were you were sort of a business. Well, I rode for a on. team. I rode for a team where my heroes were on that team at the same time. Guys like Torger Johnson. So and you stuff. were good with it. So when I ended up beating them in competition, but riding for the same team, I was like, dude, it's time to move. I'm on. out. <laughs> I, you know, after that, it's yeah. like when you've already beat the guys that are the best guys on your team yeah. that were your heroes and stuff. And not that there was any love lost because there no. wasn't. But I just felt like, you know what? It's time. Right. It's time for me to take a step in a different direction. And that's when I met my partner that I started my business with. And I think it's similar to like just when you hit a bottom too, when it, when it comes to like where I'm at spiritually, it's like God is constantly doing for me what I could never do for myself. Right. Okay. What happens is people, places, and things start appearing in your life that wouldn't have n- normally just shown up there, but you got to know what to do with those situations and make the right decision. So what happened was even at a young age, intuitively, I knew it's time. Right. It's time for me to do my own fucking thing, dude. Right. For Stop making money for other people. Stop listening and, and having them tell you what they think you should do when you know what in your gut feeling what the next thing for you to do is. And for me, it was to start Alva. You've always been super solid, dude, in the 20 years I've known you. I know that, um, Thank I you. Know that a lot of people don't, you know, they, they burn bright and they, and they fade out quick. Is there, was, is there people that you met through your travels that could have been the biggest and the best ever that just didn't make it out? Of- I think Christian was one of them, but they ended up in prison instead yeah. because he was going neck, neck to neck, toe to toe with Tony Hawk at the time. So Christian is definitely one of them. Was that a, a lo- um, was that a losing pros- proposition going against Tony Hawk? No, he was better, dude. Oh, he really? was. Yeah, I think that Christian had a better style, and was more marketable, and was more flamboyant. Yeah. I think he could have been probably the more commercial success because of the fact that he had that rock star charisma. Wow. Yeah, that was but, the first uh, board. but you know, Tony Hawk that was always your first board. Yeah, yeah, Tony Hawk always had the determination, the perseverance as a skateboarder, but also the technical aspect to his skateboarding was unsurpassed at the time. Yeah. And I think Tony Hawk's courageous. He has just that, the will to just go out and try and do something that nobody's ever done before and to do it and over and over repetitively until he accomplishes it. Yeah. So that skateboarder spirit in Tony Hawk is undeniable. Yeah. You know, he might not be 
the most flamboyant and stylish person in the world. But the bottom line is he did something that nobody had ever done before and then became that perfectly marketable crossover commercial success that he's been. And you got to give him credit for that. Yeah. And he still does it to this day. And it's, it's pretty incredible, you know, to watch and to see like where a guy where like Tony Hawk has where he came from and where he's gone and where he's at. And I have a lot of respect for him and stuff. Would I want to trade shoes with him? Would I want to be in his place? No, there's absolutely no envy or no jealousy in my world when it comes to that. With Christian, I could only say Christian could answer for himself, but I think he's comfortable with who he is. And there's a moment in your life where the self-realization really comes from knowing who you are, what you are. Well, you can't, you, you got to be happy with being a legend. And, um, and to a certain extent, the anonymity and, can be a little harsh sometimes, and, but you know, but you paved the way for, uh, for an incredible business that's going to be around, you know, past us, you know, it, it'll, it'll go on forever and ever. And well, I think the interesting thing will be like when I'm not even here anymore and right, to see, come back to and you. to see what the, where the brand goes yeah. and just like one day at a time, I'm going to live in it and just enjoy it. And take it to the next level by just being pure to the game, you know, yeah. being true to the game. But the bottom line is, you know, my son or daughter, who knows where they could take it in the future, you know, if they decide to take the business and take it to the next level. Um, meanwhile, just like I said, all I got is today, you know. I'm not living in yesterday. It's gone. I'm, I'm not worrying about tomorrow. That's a dream. But I know if I live good today, tomorrow is like a, an extension of a happy of a happy story of a good well, dream. I know? know one thing for sure. You'll be up uh, heading towards Santa Monica. In the yeah, I'll be surfing. I'll, be, I'll, I'll <laughs> probably be surfing. Tomorrow. Get aboard. Go with them, Robert. Think about it. I'll That's like it. if you went out surfing with Tony Alva, you you would go next level. You realize that, right? Yeah. Well, That's today fine. today is really what's cool about our neighborhood where we live right now is really cool is that we can go to any other canyon just in our neighborhood right there and just kind of take a walk outside of the city, but be close to the city, but be in nature and stuff. And I find like even today, instead of going surfing, I just figured, you know what? I'm going to stay close to home and do this project that, that Mark asked me to be involved in. But I just took a walk in Franklin Canyon, you know, just through like some paths that I was familiar with. And, and just, it gives me a sense of serenity and, and, and kind of like just walking barefoot through anything. It kind of puts you in contact with that vibe, you know, that, that, that the earth gives, you know, and we want to be in contact with that as, Mexicans are indigenous people, you know, and we just have to know that where we came from, that salt of the earth feeling Mm -hmm. is important. And to retain that and to know where we came from and not to get too far away from culturally what we represent and what we represent. It's like what you guys talked about, you know, it's the passion, you know, Latin people are passionate. We're passionate about everything we do. And when we carry that passion, even into countries where they're more demure, like if I go to Japan where people are just so reserved but so respectful and stuff. And they see that passion that you have as a Latino. You got to share that with people yeah, you yeah. Do. and you got to share it with them and just open up even the shyest Japanese kids yeah. to that Latin passion and stuff yeah. and show them like, look, you can have this too, but you got to reach out and you got to take it. Yeah. And don't be afraid to be, to live dangerously. Yeah. Don't be afraid to go out there and go for it, man. Right. Robert th- didn't want to be a radio or a podcast host. And I saw his potential <laughs> and I created the show Good. and I said, you're going to lead it. And he was like, I don't know, Tootie. I don't know. And now look at him. He's a professional. Orale. Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome. You're welcome. But look, dude, I, um, I, sta. I, th- I, sta. I, sta. Uh, I think that one thing that people could take away for sure is that if you have talent, 
And if that you I want, clearly don't have you. He has like Kardashian. Yeah, he really oh, does. Oh, yeah, you do. yeah, yeah. It's you know kind of like it's You're marketable, like but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not sure what I'll to do. Send, with I'll it. send you some of my stuff, Tony. It's not. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a uh, horse and pony show. It's like it's yeah, more about beauty. Yeah, yeah. it's there about you beauty. I'll, you know, I'll take it then. <laughs> about beauty. He's but releasing if, his sex tape next week. <laughs> if you're out there, keep it simple. Yeah. Don't grow so fast. Yep. Stay uh, stay authentic to what it is that you've uh, created and um, and work hard to uh, to just stay within yourself. I think the key for all of us, you know, is that anything's possible. Definitely. And, and likely. That's likely, what Larry Bertelman said. One of the surfers that we looked through, yeah. we looked through to for moves on skateboarding is yeah. when he was surfing. He said anything is possible. And we incorporated we incorporated that into our skateboarding attitude. Yeah. So that's a good one. Anything is possible. Anything's possible, and you're probably going to end up imagining where your life will go, and you'll probably end up getting there. So take it slow, relax, take it easy. Be a be a smart businessman. Stay true to the game, but be ambitious. You heard it here from Tony Alva, man. Oh, and last but not least, style is everything. Hey, there we go. <laughs> that's right. Here we go. And that and that you haven't lost. That you haven't style lost. Style is everything. Have good style. Have a good style. We'll uh, we'll chop it up again with Tony Alva in the future. He's got a lot more life to live. A Maybe lot I'll bring Krishna Soy with me next time. Oh, oh that'd yeah. be fun. That would he's be your great. neighbor. Just pop in every Tuesday. He's my brother. He'll show up. He would love. He's a he's a bit of a ham too. Because okay, if okay. I mention it, is he your guy? I'll get the ham bone going on, and we'll just yeah. be like, yeah, come on, Christian. We're gonna be we're gonna be like doing something together that's gonna go like you know international. That'd be fun. <laughs> but uh, but definitely thank you, Tony, for being no here. Problem. Thank you for uh, imparting your. Con knowledge. mucho gusto conocerle. Gracias, gracias. I think, um, you know, we learned a lot today. So take it easy and we'll see you next time. Let's get into entertainment, the business of entertainment. That's right. I like that. Very good. There you go.